I would argue that at a time when my mother was clearly dying, uh, she may have been more alive than she ever was in her entire life. And that connection to, to me was, was really powerful. So for all of us, even though you know, these times are so unsettling, um, you know, maybe it could turn into a, a powerful time of growth for all of us if we can you know, focus on the here and the now. Today's episode is brought to you by Matt Haga with State Farm Insurance. Matt is licensed in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi. We all know the things that you rely on most with your auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance is understanding exactly what you are getting for a competitive price. If you're looking for an agency that is prompt with their communication, committed to the success of the relationship, and that values what's in your best interest, then you need to call or email Matt Haga with State Farm here in Memphis. You can email Matt at Matt with two T's at Matt Haga, H-A-A-G-A dot com. Matt Haga State Farm is licensed to provide coverages for these services in Tennessee and Mississippi. We do have listeners all around the world and all around the United States. So please make note again that this is for the state of Tennessee and Mississippi in the United States. Now we're going to get back to the show. My guest this week is Dr. Scott Morris with the Church Health Center. The Church Health Center is the largest faith-based, privately funded healthcare organization in the United States. The Church Health Center serves tens of thousands of uninsured and underserved individuals and families across Shelby County and Tennessee. In 2019 alone, Church Health saw more than 18,500 patients and had more than 62,500 patient encounters. Church Health Center was founded by Dr. Morris in 1987 with just him and a nurse. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Dr. Morris, great to be with you this afternoon. My honor, Sam. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes, sir. So as we've talked about, we're using this podcast as a way to encourage Memphians of all walks of life on how to just be honest and recognize this change, this season of life we're in, but then also think about things and how to have encouragement to continue to persevere and just navigate changes in our life, whatever that may look like. So I'm just very excited to have you and just interview you today and talk about that and then other things about your life. So I guess to get started, I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but in your TED Talk in 2014, you gave three points that you wanted to challenge the audience that was there. It said the first one was power, that we have a responsibility to be kind. The second one is that everyone deserves to be first. And then the third was don't skip the rapids. And so we'll probably come back to this a little bit, but I'm just curious, what does don't skip the rapids look like to you in your life right now? Yes, that whole story came about from my mother. When I was a freshman in college, I had planned to go with a bunch of my friends on a rapid river trip in North Carolina. And at the last minute, my mother asked to go with me and with us. So that's every young man's delight, right? Your mother on a (laughs) trip with your friends. But I said, sure, come along. And everything was going really well until... um, 
that this was at a time my mother had ovarian cancer and was clearly dying. She ended up dying six months after this trip. But we got to the very end and it was a very big rapid and we pulled over to the side to scout out our path through it and she got scared. And I was going, look, mom, it's not a problem. We'll get through the rapid. We'll pick you up on the other side. And then at the last second, as we were getting back into the boat, she goes, I'm going with you. So we get in the boat and then we go through the rapid. And at a point where I should have leaned forward, I leaned backwards. And in a split second, I am now in the water. But I wasn't there for very long because within five or 10 seconds, the hand of God, my mother, reaches down and pulls me back into the raft. And like that, it's over. But the point of this for me, for for all of us, as we think about this, even in, in really difficult and trying times, you just can't skip that last rapid. I would argue that at a time when my mother was clearly dying, she may have been more alive than she ever was in her entire life. And that connection to me was really powerful. So for all of us, even though, you know, these times are so unsettling, you know, maybe it could turn into a powerful time of growth for all of us if we can focus on the here and the now. Yes, sir. I happened to be a whitewater rafting guide for a few years. So I know what the feeling's like, A, going down a wild river, and then B, feeling the responsibility of being responsible for other people and also going down it. And so I know what it's like when you have those fears or those nerves. And there are times where, you know, sometimes maybe unfortunately you just, you don't go through, but then you know the times very clearly where you just go for it. And then you learn the lesson that you're talking about. What do you think just now with your lesson and what you're teaching, are there some other examples throughout your career, maybe when you first started Church Health Center or maybe 10, 20 years in where you felt that discomfort or you felt that desire to want to control something and maybe not go through with it, but you still went through with it and then you can see the value looking back over it? Yeah, I'm not from Memphis. I actually grew up in Atlanta. I came to Memphis, uh, not making this up, because I, I read somewhere that Memphis is the poorest major city in America, that that's what drew me here at the point where I was 33 years old, and I just had an idea, an idea around how the faith community should reach out and care for the health care needs of people who were falling through the crack. I literally came here selling out of an empty cart, just knocking on doors, and the idea of what I wanted to do in, in retrospect was really ludicrous. And yet I had a passion about it and I was able to stay focused and in the moment. And I, I never let, you know, the huge obstacles that were in front of me ever discourage me. So I, mean, I think through all of our lives, there are lessons like that that need to be learned that yes, you have to have a plan and you have to have a vision for how this could actually work and be sustained over time. That's one of the challenges that many people um, just fail to see that they may want to get something started today, but they don't really have a long-term plan for how to sustain it. But challenges like we're facing today are opportunities. I guarantee you some really exciting, cool things are going to happen as a result of what we're all going through right now. 
but it's going to come from people who have not let the fear drive them. It's going to come from people who have found a way to keep that fear at bay and yet found exciting ways to build off of hope and use the challenges we face today to create an opportunity for tomorrow that can be life-changing. I just think all of us need to find ways to do that. What is fear keeping it at bay? What does that look like for you? So I believe that the opposite of love is fear. I'm a Methodist minister as well as a family practice physician. So I first and foremost see myself as a person of faith. So strictly from a biblical standpoint, the most common concept in the entire Bible, both the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, it is this idea of be not afraid. When the um, shepherds hear from the angels when Jesus is born, I mean, that, that is the message there. And that message permeates literally everything in the New Testament that Jesus's message is, even after the resurrection, this idea of be not afraid. So, I mean, what it looks like to me, as I said, the opposite of fear is actually love. And how do we incorporate love, not in some mamby-pamby way, but in in a way that demonstrates true care and compassion for each other, how we find ways to hold each other up so that people are not alone. Being alone might be the quickest path to be consumed by fear. But, you know, as human beings, we, we were made for companionship. That's why this social distancing, or I would prefer physical distancing, is so hard for us because we were made to be connected. And so we have to find a way to be connected. We just have to find new ways of doing it. And I believe we will get there. You know, most of us haven't figured it out yet, but we can't give up because if we, if we give up, we will be completely consumed by the fear. Do you feel if you're living out of a place of care and compassion, do you believe that, I mean, I know from a pastoral perspective, I know the answer, but with you personally, does it give you confidence when you're living out of care and compassion that things are going to work out one way or another and it just compels you to keep doing the right thing? Well, things are going to work out one way or the other. There's no guarantee it's going to work out for the better. I think that is foolishness to just assume that it's all going to turn out okay, it might not turn out okay. But what I do believe, though, is that no matter what happens, God is with us. For me, again, as a Christian, that it's a a slightly different way that maybe a lot of Christians feel. But what the New Testament says to me is that because of Jesus's death and the crucifixion here is that God is with us no matter what. Now, in the midst of our own suffering, the message here is that God will be with us. And whatever that valley of the shadow of death might be for each of us, the commitment, if we can see it, is that, that God will walk it with us. But it, there's not a guarantee that it's all going to turn out okay. But it is that we won't have to suffer alone. And there's no question there's a lot of suffering going on right now. But ultimately, I find this is what a message of hope is all about. You know, it's not that we're going to end up on the mountaintop. It's that through it all, God will be with us. What more could I ask for? Yes, sir. By the way, I saw in one of your writings that you were either going to go to seminary or medical school, or you were going to play for the Atlanta Braves. Were you a good baseball player? 
<laughs> you know, this is a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, I was a good high school baseball player. I There's a story that, I'm, again, this is ridiculous. I can't believe you're asking me this. But yes, when I was in ninth grade, my high school baseball team played Georgia Tech. This was in Atlanta. And in the ninth grade, I pitched a no-hitter against Georgia oh, Tech. Holy smokes. Yeah, but again, that's a long time ago. And then I just came to believe I could pitch every day and have a have a great story about how I hurt my arm. And <laughs> I, to this day, I throw in a baseball, it hurts. So, but I, I was incredibly disappointed that the Atlanta Braves did not want me to play for them. I, I could never understand it. And they, they went through a few years there where they really needed me. <laughs> they seem to be on an upswing now, so they, they probably don't need me now. Uh, yeah. What would you say if someone was asking you advice, and I know this can be different depending on where someone's at or everybody has a different situation, but from a career standpoint, I think if you look at your life, and I know you're a pastor, but you're also a physician, and your story is incredible, like one out of a million of somebody that's a lot of times going to have that kind of clarity or God's going to orchestrate your life to where you knew so clearly what it is you wanted to do, and then the amount of effort and energy and obedience that you were able to take or, or do to really start Church Health Center, you know, on a shoestring budget with a ludicrous idea the way you said it. But what kind of advice would you give anybody, like anyone, just regular person that is trying to, they may appreciate their job, they may appreciate the income to provide for their family, but they might have got laid off or they still might just be feeling like they're just not sure how they want to spend the next 10 years. How could you speak into someone that's in a situation like that right now to use their life as a way to work hard and to serve others, regardless of the occupation, but like the way with the energy and the effort, the way that you have done with Church Health Center? So look, it can never be about you. You know, you have to lead with issues of humility. You know, you need to find out with some clarity in your own life what would bring you joy. You know, I can assure you what will not bring anybody joy is money. I get that it's better to have money than not have money, but I've known a lot of wealthy people who were not happy. So trying to figure out what is it that would ultimately give you some sense of fulfillment and then back into that. So how do I achieve that? What would that look like? And then what are the steps to get there? And then it has to fundamentally be about today. How can you be here now in this moment? That is worth all the time and effort it takes to develop the discipline to live into every moment of your life. So you can't just let your mind be wandering to the past or the future because you can't control those things. But if you can fully engage in the current situation or and just today, then it gives you an opportunity to fully maximize your ability. You know, there's a lot of different entities that have zeroed in on this. I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have helped people figure out how you live a sober life by just realizing all we have is today. And that becomes one of the great ways to not let fear dominate your thinking. Your thinking is the most powerful tool you have to accomplish your goals. But in order to develop a path to achieve the goals you want, you have to work very hard on having clarity of thought 
and not be uh, confused by things that don't really matter. For, for all of us, it becomes really easy to get distracted by very small, petty things. So a lot of this for me is about creating discipline in your life. So when you're young, you just need to work on what does that look for me like? And then Kimmons Wilson used to say, you know, you can achieve all your goals as long as you work. All you have to do is work a half a day. And it doesn't matter which 12 hours a day you want to work. So all of this requires both discipline. It requires developing that sense of vision. And then it requires just rolling up your sleeves and, and getting it done day after day after day after day. Does fulfillment tie into having a mind that's less distracted when you know what fulfills you and how you can serve others? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I'm enjoying talking to you today, but I, I saw patients all morning long here at Crosstown at Church Health. And yes, COVID is a big part of, of what we do these days, but poor people still break their arms and get sick in other ways. So that is enormously fulfilling to me, particularly around just having the time to get to know somebody in a very intimate setting. You know, I've had a couple of people this, this, this morning, just their stories are incredible. The fact that they let me into their life and give me an opportunity to help them with not just medical needs, but to figure out how their spiritual challenges, how they can get through what we're all going through. I mean, it is so rewarding. And then I get to do it tomorrow, too. I get to go get it to do it again tomorrow. You know, we all have to find Things like that. So here at Church Health, we've come to believe that there are three things in life that lead you to have a healthy life. So those things are having more joy in your life, having more love in your life, and being driven closer to things greater than we are. Now, we would call that God. But this is what you all, we all need in order to have a life that is fulfilled, more joy, more love and be driven closer to God. So whatever you're doing, Sam, in your own daily life, if it is not leading you to have more joy, more love, and be driven closer to God, then you need to quit doing it. Life is too short. Give it up and go find something else. And that would be true to anybody listening. What is it that is going to give you more joy, more love, and drive you closer to God? You know, until you find that, you're not going to be fulfilled. How would you talk about the lessons that you learned from your mother that were instrumental in you becoming who you are and how you lived your life, especially in the early days of church health? I'm not sure anybody's ever asked me that question, Sam. So, you know, my mother was a powerful force in my life, but she did die when I was a freshman in college. So I've had you know, a lot of time to think back on, I wish I was a better son in this way or that way, because you know, I was a, like every other teenager. I did stupid things that normally you would get an opportunity to, as an adult, make up for it. And I never had that opportunity. But I have had the opportunity to think back on those things that she taught me. And a lot of things I'm talking about now are things that I think I learned from her in an indirect fashion, because it is sort of a way I saw her live her life. She was very focused on things that mattered to her, and um, her faith mattered in a big way. And I think my focus on what it means to fully be engaged in love is very much at the heart of who she was. Yes, sir. 
That is great. I was thinking before we got together this afternoon, just about for regular physicians, how hard their life can be at times or how stressful sometimes physicians talk about just with clients, with not making mistakes, just with the long hours. And I was thinking about you personally, where you started. You know, like today I looked up and said the church health budget was, I mean, they did close with including pro bono and gifts and things like that within the community, $150 million worth of value, financial value to the community alone and a $20 million budget financially for the organization. So I was thinking about your life, being a physician, being a pastor, being heavily relationally driven, but then also of a large organization. What have you learned throughout the course of your life and your career to have more peace and presence personally while having such a demanding schedule professionally? And how do you like avoid just getting burned out and getting way too, going burn out way too far? Right. Well, I mean, bringing up the money part of this, it it would be very easy to be daunted by that. And, you know, in today's world, I've already had 100 people ask me in the last week, you know, aren't you worried that philanthropic giving is going to completely dry up? I don't know if it's going to dry up. But what I do know is that we need financial resources in order to do the work that makes a difference in people's lives. So, Yes, I am a professional beggar. I spend every day making sure I give people an opportunity to be a part of the work we do. But you can't shy away from that. If you truly believe in this work, then you have to make an ask. And I'm sure over the years, there have been plenty of people who have told me no. But literally after doing this for 34 years, I couldn't name five times that somebody just flat out told me they weren't going to support us. I have a mindset. If somebody says no, it it mostly just means not today. It doesn't mean they don't want to support us. It means my timing was wrong. You have to have a mindset like that or else it would drive you crazy. But I believe so much in the value of the work we do. And I've just seen the work we do be so formative in people's lives. I mean, literally saving people's lives. I know that happens, but it becomes personal for me. When people thank me or something like that, it just just water off a duck's back on the personal side of it. But I know organizationally, it's really important. And it also makes a difference in the donor's life. You know, I tell our donors that if being a donor to church health doesn't bring you more love more joy or drive you closer to God, then don't give anything to us. All of this is connected. And for me, it's ultimately connected by that path of how we are connected to God. Yes, sir. Well, I can tell you that just in small ways that my family's been a part, the content that y'all produce, the passion that you exude and your staff exudes, I don't see anybody wanting to stop giving. I just assume people thinking through what can they prioritize, how can they do it, because just the work that y'all do, even from just a marketing or how y'all communicate, it's so first class. I mean, it is amazing just the organization that God has developed through you from where it started and just how impressive the work that y'all do and just how y'all market your ministry. Well, I appreciate that, Sam. But I will, I mean, this idea of giving, I mean, everybody listening here, I just, Think of your own life, how powerful giving can be. 
I heard somebody say one time that giving is the most selfish thing you could possibly do because it feels so good when you see the outcomes. That mindset is different from how most people think about it, but giving can be transformative to your life if you're thoughtful about how you're making your gifts. And just the opposite of that is that if all you do is find a way to spend your resources on yourself, it is just completely unfulfilling. In a troubled time like we're in right now, rather than just have a pity party because you're holed up in your house and you can't do those things that you've always wanted to do, finding a way to reach out and help others is the path out of that despair. And it will work. You know, you just have to figure out what is the right means for you to, to give back. Yes, sir. You don't seem like you're slowing down at all, but I'm curious, how do you think about, you said you've been leading church health for 34 years. What are just ways that, and how you start thinking about the next 15 or 20 from a, just a planning perspective, from a thought perspective, what is that like to go through that? And I mean, I'm not asking for any specifics whatsoever, but How are you thinking about continuing the legacy of church health? Yeah, so I I get these days I get asked that question every day. Now, people started asking me that question when I was 40 years old. (laughs) It actually didn't make any sense when I was 40. It, It does make sense today. And I can assure you our board has a plan. Anybody who knows the inner workings of church health, you know that operationally we are incredibly strong. That the depth of church health is really, really deep. It's mostly driven by people in their 40s. So they're here. They're committed. The majority of them started 20 years ago. So they understand the organization. These days, you know, I have the privilege of talking to you while they're doing all the work. Now, yes, I have continued to be the face of the organization. And, you know, over the next couple of years, we're definitely on a path to find that person who can, you know, sit in my chair. But if you ask this question to Fred Smith at FedEx, your interview would be over with. He doesn't like dealing with it. And he's 10 years older than me. So um, I'm not saying I'm Fred Smith, but I, I do feel like I've still got more to give back. And to your point, I'm perfectly healthy and I, I love the work I do. So right now, We're in a great position from a leadership standpoint. I am still doing this work, but we definitely have a plan over the next few years to find that person who will at least replace my position. And, you know, I will forever be supportive of church health. I can't imagine just walking away from it. It's sort of been my whole life, but hopefully that will be an asset to whoever takes my position. And um, I certainly would never want to be in that person's way. Yes, sir. Last question I have, unless there's anything else you'd like to talk about or encourage our listeners with is just heard you say it several times that no one can live a faithful life alone. And we've talked here about community and I've heard you talk before about technology and the consequences it has. And I've also heard you talk about your patients and how they have heart problems when they think it's a physical problem. But I'm just curious, I would love for you to just speak into community, loneliness, heart problems versus physical pain, et cetera, because it's been very encouraging hearing you speak about that previously. So um, whatever your faith position is, I mean, you, you don't 
you know, have to be a person of faith to understand that as human beings, we need each other. We need to find a way that I am not alone. Feeling alone leads to despair. So how is it that we can set that mindset off to the side and find ways for us to feel like we are locked together? I think we have a great opportunity right now to do that very thing. One of the things I'm really excited about that has come out of this, that Church Health has had a, you know, I think a, a leadership role is, is that connecting our faith communities across, you know, very disparate ways. So Catholics, Episcopalians, Jews, Muslims, Baptists even. Hard to believe we got our Baptists and our Methodists all on the same team. But we're all realizing that, you know, we're in this together. We all connect to the same God. We, we may feel like God interfaces with us in different ways, but we have created some new bonds that I think will not be broken. When Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968, a similar thing happened, which was out of the city's despair after King's assassination came the creation of MIFA, the Metropolitan Interfaith Association. I believe something similar to that can happen as a result of all this. You know, I don't know what it's going to be, but I, I do believe that we're on a path where something really exciting like that could be a result, and it would create new senses of community like you were asking about. And then there are just other things that will happen, but we have to be intentional about it. You can't just assume that community will happen spontaneously. That can happen, but I think you're always better to try to make it be intentional and intentional around these issues that we know are transformative in people's lives. So finding a way to sort of interpret what does love look like in a city like Memphis that has great poverty, that's having to deal with the economic catastrophe that is all around us. This stuff is hard, but we can get through this by an intentional commitment to lock arms and work together and not just go our separate ways. This is where I feel like having the faith leaders help us move forward around this. This is whenever you're asking the question about what is right, that makes it a moral issue which is why we need our faith leader's voice in this. And I'm excited about where this is going, but we're still in the middle of this, you know, we're just before the last rapid, you know, <laughs> that last rapid is, can be a bear. Yes, sir. Well, I'm very grateful that you carved out some time today and I've loved being with you over this interview. So thank you so much. Sam, I appreciate you're doing what you're doing here because you know, things like this are one of the ways we get to what I was just talking about. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned at least one thing today that you can apply to your own life. If you like the show, please make sure and leave a review and be sure to tune in each week as I'll be releasing a new episode. Hope you have a great day. Hey, 